Okay. Um, yeah, so this doesn't really answer the, in, in, like, I don't, either I'm missing the point or it doesn't answer the initial question, like, how would we demonstrate it anyway, considering what we talked about the last 45 minutes? We need an unchanging standard. The straight standard again, which to measure the curvature and see if it comports more to um, uh, something flat or something round. Yeah, right. specifically, so. what would that be? Because we already did man. light is not really suitable over long Laser seems to be the standard of choice or uh, microwave ray propagation. I haven't seen a better one. Microwave propagation. Well, this is if, if you're looking, if you're looking to prove, if you're looking to prove one proposition or another, sometimes it's easier to disprove one or the other. So the easiest way to disprove a proposition is to remove a logically contingent part. So once that logical contingent part that must exist of a necessity for that thing to exist is defeated, then the entire the entire proposition is defeated. So for example. You have, you have a flat earth on one side, let's say, and a globe on the other, let's say. Now, a flat earth could have any, any boundary, shape, any subterranean shape, et cetera, et cetera. There's all kinds of permutations that it could be, right? Okay. Now, a sphere must be a sphere. So it must have a 360-degree curvilinear surface. Now, obviously, we have topology, right? So you're not going to have a perfect sphere. However, according to the globe model, quote-unquote gravity is what's holding the water to the sphere, or what's holding it down, but technically it's not actually down, it's actually inwards towards the center, quote-unquote. So the water is being pulled inward. Now, if you know anything about water in your lifetime of experience, it adheres to the shape of the boundaries of its container. However, if you leave the surface open, that water will generally lay flat once it goes past the meniscus um, level or the level where it can uh, have a cohesive surface property like surface tension to create a little bit of an arc in it, like in a cup or something. You know, a lot of people do that experiment where they make it and they put a coin or, or a toothpick, right? But you know, you know that once water gets big enough, it just fills its container and the top stays flat. You can then turn the container left. You could turn the turn the container right, but the top surface of that water stays level and flat. This is why they use water in levels on construction sites, etc., or to do long channels. They you know they put the water level and then they get what the level is. So, if gravity is pulling the water down towards the center or inwards towards the center, then that means that you have a sphere with water being pulled in. Then that means large bodies of water of a necessity are curved to match the radius of the earth with a certain amount of discrepancy of course because you've got um, tides etc uh, you've got centrifugal forces etc however the waters of the earth which are known to us to be about 70 percent of the territory that we're aware of would be conforming to the spherical shape now there's a given radius of the earth and that means that you can calculate what this curve of water should be within a very narrow band of precision mm -hmm. so all that you have to do to disprove the entire globe model in totality completely and immediately is just prove that water isn't doing this 
Once you prove that, it's not possible in any way, shape, or form for the GLOBE model to be true. Of course, I, I agree with you so far. My question, because we discussed how Aristotelian doesn't show anything and how uh, our perspective is a right. sort of uh, un... Not what's the word? Uh, insufficient to uh, to make this measure. Right. So so far, so far, you understand the logical premise that water must be convex between point A and point B. So the correct methodology to to discover whether that's true or not is to use a methodology of measurement that would demonstrate that curve not being there. And so all you need all you need to accomplish in order to do that is find a large body of water that has an, an exaggerated amount of curve that's greater than the range of the equipment that you're using. And what I mean by that is the vertical range, not the uh, range into the distance. So like on, on a job site, what you'd use, uh, heck, we just did it the other day. We set up our laser, okay? Mm -hmm. We shoot the laser beam. We shoot mm -hmm. it over here. The laser stays level, then we measure down, mm -hmm. and it tells us 27. Then we shoot the laser over here, and we measure down, and it tells us 20. So that means that the ground is higher on that side than on the other. The laser didn't change. Now, keep in mind, if that side is a little bit longer, then the spread of the laser will be a little bit longer, but we could still adjust for that variance pretty uh, calculably and accurately. You know, so you may adjust it a quarter inch, whatever. So you take the same premise, right? If somebody walks in between the laser and the and the mark point, the laser doesn't hit the mark point, correct? You understand that, right? Mm-hmm. Right. So when the person is standing in between the laser and that, we're like, hey, get the hell out of the way. We got to get over there and, you know, mark the laser. So you take this same pr principle... And you put it from point A to point B on a place where you know there's an exaggerated curve of water supposed to be. You get those measurement differentials. For example, let's just go with 25 miles. That's a pretty good number. So at 25 miles, if you have a laser set two meters off the ground, and on the other end you have a laser uh, target of, of your choice, could be anything. Mm -hmm. two meters off the ground so you have a variation of, of two meters off the surface mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. so that me that would mean in principle if the laser is shooting dead accurate at the other target then the mm -hmm. maximum amount of physical variation between the two points can be only two meters because if mm -hmm. it's any higher the laser will be blocked and you'll have to tell joe hey joe get the hell out of the way of my laser i'm trying to get hey, this job hey, done. Hey, I I disagree on various uh, parts. Like um, in principle, there's, I not, there's nothing you could disagree with so far. Everything I've said is absolutely yeah. factually accurate. Uh, so if you disagree with any points, you need to bring them up quick before we move on. You're you're assuming that the laser travels straight. The, it does. Wow, it does. Are you saying a laser is not a collimated beam of light? Wow, what is the definition I, of a laser? It absolutely a laser shoots a collimated beam of light. Yeah, it is true. Saying, By definition, I'm saying, I'm saying laser shoots light, and light is susceptible to to, uh, to bending. 
And and the reason I'm bringing this up is Aristotelianus because Aristotelianus uh, results show that the light is a right, significant but, amount of right, right, true, true. But sunlight and laser light are not the same. The okay, well, lasers are created in a very specific way. They're much more focused, much more directed, and they're okay. predictable. The, the, now the secondary effect you were saying is how they pass through the quote-unquote medium. Now that can also be accounted for, which is why I mentioned earlier that you account for these errors when you're making your your calculate your, uh, your measurements. Okay. So you know the ambient conditions and you account for them. Okay. So what I what my premise that I set up to you was if the laser is shooting dead straight at the target, mm -hmm. which means I foregone the other um, yeah, variables to this point. Doesn't shoot now, dead straight. That, no, that. no, no, listen to me. Listen to me and pay attention very carefully. Lasers shoot straight, period. Your only contention would be that if they pass through a medium, then the laser could be could, uh, diverted from its path. They pass through air. Right, but that doesn't change the nature of the laser. Yeah, but it passes through a medium, air, therefore it could deviate. Right. Single so that is why I, right. That is why I said in the setup of my premise, if the laser's shooting straight to the target, now the variable okay. of the medium is taken to an into account after that premise is already established. Okay. Now there's two factors in the laser itself, and well, that is the um, the nature of the light, which is the color of the laser beam and then also the divergence rate because obviously some lasers yeah. are better than others at a certain range they'll be so diffused that you'd be barely able to tell that it is even there which is why you know if you buy a hundred dollar laser at a job site you're not going to be able to get everything done as easily if you buy a five hundred dollar laser that's way more powerful and you could easily see it plus on the mark that you want to make yeah plus if the divergence is too big then you get a very huge cone uh of target so you could hit your target even though um it's not a straight line like uh it, it, that's only it, if that's it, only if all right all right you need to stop right now so we can move on a black hole to bend a fucking laser light and that's only in theory yeah yeah so we got to move on to the next point because then you can bring up the cone okay because at this point it's irrelevant to, to the point okay all right so all the premises are set for how you would measure this uh, variation. And if all the, all the premises hold true, then the maximum amount of variation would be two meters. So now when you put this into the practical reality at a 25 mile um, range, you end up with a point A to point B at 25 miles. You end up with an arc that, um, now this is a predicted arc of the globe model between point A and point B. Now the half, the median line between those two points in a, in a 90 degree uh, perpendicular drawn to the top of the arc, that hump of water or the height of the hump is known as the sagata, which is basically, you know, what it has to get beyond. Okay, so taking into account that the laser cannot shoot through the water and that it can only shoot directly above the sagata, the hidden area that the laser cannot reach if it if it shoots straight 
is approximately 90 meters. So that means that if you have a two meter target and a 90 meter variance that the laser cannot drop below, <laughs> you're talking, uh, what's that? Uh, 90 minus two. Man, that's hard math. Hold on now. 88. Did I get it right? Oh, no. So you're um, talking 88 meters, 88 meters of variance there. So now, now you have to take into account the ambient conditions. So first off, you throw in the math of, of the globe, the terrestrial refraction, that shaves off about 5 meters. Then you take off the uh, beam divergence, which is approximately at that range for the millirads of this laser in question. Uh, we'll just call it uh, 2 meters. So now you have 2 plus 5 plus 2, which is, let's see, 2, carry the 3,000, plus 5 is 7, now 9. All right, so you have 81 meters of variance left. So now, 89. with 81 meters of variance, okay, 81 meters of variance, that means that it is absolutely impossible for the laser to hit the target. Um, yeah, you... You were assuming about the refraction there, right? Like just about five meters, right? Right. That's what set, that's what terrestrial refraction that's given in all these Earth curve calculators, etc. Now oh, yeah. it gets worse. It gets worse. So I, I, the principle is this: that that means there's only a maximum of two meters if it shoots straight, and we have 81 meters of variance. That means that you now have 79 meters that are not there so if you hit your target you've proven that this hump of water isn't you there best. um well you have taken assumptions about the refraction right you have not measured it okay so now what you would do to take an account for this refraction is you would set up different targets at different ranges okay and each target would be panned horizontally. So the first laser would hit target one at a certain range, then the laser would hit target two at a certain range, and the laser would hit target three at a certain range. And with that pan, you could predict the arc that a refractive index would cause the laser to, to vary up or down. So the, the basically this, if you, if you hit all three targets in succession, Taking into account all the all the variables that I just gave you, taking into account the, the globe prediction of 71 meters that the laser must drop in order to hit the target, there is nothing that exists that can diverge a laser 71 meters that exists in the regular atmosphere. Not gravity, not farting gnomes, not refraction, not anything. So then the answer would be, well, what about the beam divergence? Couldn't that get it over the hump? The, well, the answer is no. It would only get it over the hump if you raise the elevation of the laser greater than the sagata to the angle of the triangle of the divergence. So in other words, if you, if you have a divergent pattern and the laser stays fixed at two meters, then the bottom leg of the divergence is still just a straight line. So it's still not getting its way over the Sagata. It's just not happening. OK, 
Okay, I will. I will be honest. I will need to wrap my head around that. Thank you for that very clear explanation. Um, I have a yeah. follow-up though. Um, and yeah, it's is, not just an explanation. We we can link you a PDF that goes through. Um, I I believe seven different uh, tests where they be began doing laser tests, and I believe be it's seven different measurements. Appreciate that. Your correction. Hey, I have a question if someone can help me out with it. Hey, before you start on that, I want to say one more thing about the laser test. Okay, so when you're panning between a whole bunch of different distance targets, that pump, the so-called, you know, sagitta, the peak of the sagitta, that's the horizon, right, in the globe model. That's where you would see the horizon, the, you know, the geometrical, the geophysical edge of the sphere would be the horizon. That would be the peak of that hump. Now, how would a laser get at the peak of that hump and at different distances hit all the exact same height at every single distance? That would be that if, if I'm shooting to one distance, when it reaches the horizon, it takes one angle, and then another distance, it somehow magically changes to a different, and then at another distance, it changes to a third angle. That's not really, there's no mechanism that anyone knows of that would allow that to happen. Okay. Got it. Smart, where it knows the distance to the object, and it knows to be <laughs> okay. When I get there, I gotta be you know two meters off the ground. Okay, so I have a follow-up question. Like um, in that whole measurement, uh, in that hypothetical, uh, in that hypothetical, like for me at this point, hypothetical measurement, uh, we were just saying we could account for the ambient conditions. That that means we can. Uh, calculate like we can um, calculate or predict how light would deviate from a straight line. Going back to Aristodemus, we should be able to calculate how the light deviates from a straight line when we observe it over a long distance between the apparent position of the sun and the earth. That means we should be able to triangulate the apparent position <laughs> of the sun for oh, no yeah, actually yeah. like that you, you I missed think it if bro, we, bro. Like, if we account for the bro well, you missed you're it. confusing well hold on because uh, i'm the one who talked about eratosthenes you're confusing two things diverging rays is different than refracted rays so right if the sun's a ball and it's closer it's gonna be a, a you know a round ball the rays are are emanating off of this uh radially right mm -hmm. so if you're if it's very far away even though it's radial for all intents and purposes by the time it reaches earth from 93 million miles they're parallel right but if the sun's closer the, there's more divergence because the the sun is closer each way what I'm saying? yeah i do see what you're saying each way though could be uh like each single ray we we we're basically putting a a, sl a slot slaughter on the sun so that just we're considering just that one ray that uh, that is just above our shadow that you know that we measure the the length of with the sticks and uh, this ray could be considered as just one uh, beam of light from a from a, a small laser this one ray we could we could just we could we could build a divergent light source out of many lasers, out of infinitely many lasers, we could build a divergent light source. 
right? So when we consider just this one ray, we can uh, we can calculate we can apply what uh, happens to that ray through the ambient conditions on it, right? No. No. I, I'm confused because no, you're miss. <laughs> yeah, I'm not. I'm not confused. So I'll take this one. Um, you're confused. You you are confused in thinking that a laser and a target is analogous to the sun and a shadow. Here's the problem. I can verify the point source of the laser. I can verify the ambient conditions present between point A and B, and I can verify point B. None of those relationships are present when you're talking about the sun. Nobody can go to the sun and verify anything about it. Yeah, but I can nor, nor, the pat, nor the medium from the sun to the location of the shadow. So, for example, for example, to measure the refractive index, to measure the refractive index, you can pan the laser. You could also tilt the laser. You can also use two different color laser beams, which will have different variations of refractive index because they have different wavelengths. And then you can see the pattern that all three of those actions I just described cause on the target, which means you have a verifiable methodology of accounting for those conditions when it comes to a laser and a target. You do not have any of that when you're talking about the sun. Not even close. Okay, but I can... Uh, let's say there is a medium. The sun is in a totally different realm than ours. Let's say there's there could be a medium like that. Okay, we don't know it, so there could be. We could introduce it. Um, then this... This light from the sun would need to exit that medium and travel through air to reach us, to reach the ground. That's a fact. Okay, so um, explain how we uh, to to explain that there are different uh, that that we get different uh, um, heights for the sun. Uh, via tri triangulation of Aristodenus, um, we will have to assume that there is a apparent position created that it's different from the actual position of the sun, which lies in a realm that we cannot access. Uh, right, the, I mean, the fact that the second. sun... It's not a triangulation, okay? It's not even nothing like a triangulation. You're only measuring that... Uh, the elevation angle, basically. But it, that's not a triangulation. We know that you can't triangulate the sun. It can't be done. You're doing that. You're doing that for two different places. You're on not, Earth, but you, you know, you're not placing it in 3D space, though. You're you're only measuring elevation angles. That's it. So and if we were triangulating it right, we would take the shadow, the stick, the shadow, and we take the direction of the shadow, see which way is pointed relative to the direction of some other stick. And you would take that measurement simultaneously and take those two directions and intersect them at some point in space, right? Yeah. And then you, that would be a triangulation. You take the distance between yeah. those two sticks, right? That's your baseline, right? The angles of the shadows where they intersect, and that would be your triangulation. When that's actually attempted, yeah. it doesn't actually work. They don't intersect at a point. So 
Yeah, it can't be done. This is That's why when they yeah, it's Same. Like, a problem. Trying, this like, is why they so... got the distance of the sun by presupposing that Venus was the same size as Earth and using the transit of Venus to get the, the sun's size. And then once they thought they knew the sun's size, they got the sun's distance. But it's admitted in modern astronomy and even ancient astronomy that they can't get the distance of the sun by looking at the sun directly. Okay, yeah. Um, uh, I'm talking about uh, determining the distance of the sun through Aristotelian, and as you correctly stated, uh, we get different uh, positions which show that the apparent position of the sun is at different places. Yeah, it's right, right. Flat or round or it's pretzel. Like, yeah. like trying to triangulate a, a rainbow. It only uh, yeah. occurs in the eyes of the observer. It's called the analema. Yeah, yeah but. Uh, in other words, you can't make a concrete conclusion from that information. This, this, apparent, this apparent position is within the reach of what we can measure. That we can measure that up to that point. We shouldn't have anything else, any other medium influencing the light than air, right? You can measure an apparent position? We can triangulate the position or apparent position of the sun, find that so it's, it's at apparent, different. Maybe. That doesn't mean it's actually there. If yeah. it's apparent, that means it's not actual. Yeah. But, but we can. We can measure that apparent position, and the light would need to travel through that apparent position for us to have the sun appear at that point, right? Uh, no. Oh. I, I could measure the apparent distance to the horizon. That That's doesn't true. mean it's an actual place. Yeah. That's right. Um, if you actually follow the path the path of the sun is like a small figure eight. It's called the analema. It even oh. makes everything more confusing because it doesn't prove if we if we go around it or if it corkscrews above us. Look at the analema. What I'm trying to say is the, no, where the sun appears to us, no, and that we know how the light behaves through. Yeah, but but when you're saying what you're trying to say is that you're you're looking at something that could be taken any number of different ways and declaring one way that this must be the way it's got to be because you're presupposing your outcome by putting it 93 million miles away and saying, oh, see, it, look, it works. That's not accurate in any way. How are you getting 93 million miles from? That's not what we're talking about. Well, but the point is, is that if just looking at something and declaring it one way or the other, when it could be <clears throat> many different ways, I mean, that doesn't mean anything. Yeah. Well, let, let me let me give you a concrete example of of some of these problems. So, we all we all experience perspective. We all know that as things recede away from us, they appear. To occupy the center of our vision and gets and get smaller or whatever. So what this means is that at a certain distance, the angles that that object is occupying in your field of view will cause it to be rendered approximately in the center of your vision. 
Now, this object could actually be a thousand miles to your left or a thousand miles to your right, but to you, it will appear in the center of your vision. Now, this is a problem because you can't be certain whether it's off to your left or off to your right. And as it moves away from you and it starts to move towards the center of your vision, apparently, you may be mistakenly thinking this is actually physically moving from left to right or physically moving from right to left. Yeah. And now at a certain range, at a certain range with no, you know, baselines to go off of, your conclusions about this object, even though they be geometrically correct, for example, you draw your little triangle, you draw a picture of you, you draw a picture of the object, you say it's directly in front of me, you draw a little line from you to it, and you say, well, look here, this geometry that I just did is entirely accurate, so clearly this object is of a certainty in front of me. When actually it's not. Well, AI, we are talking about triangulation, so I have a second observer looking at it from a different angle. And they suffer from the same problem I just described. Right. So That's why it's impossible to kind of triangulate. Yeah, sorry, sorry. From the second observer, the ship is not moving in a direct line. Direct if, right. If people are standing on the ocean and they're both looking at the sun, and there's an angle of ray of light that's hitting the water coming to each individual person. Okay, it, it, it two people can't triangulate a rainbow.